Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Thank you for joining us here this morning. It's great to see you here in church. Please join me for a short prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Father, I pray that for every person in this building, everyone within the sound of our voice that's joining us through the online service this morning. Lord Jesus, help us put away our cares, our concerns, our worries, our daily to-do list. Help us to just, for these next few moments, to focus on you, who you are, all that you promise, all that you've done, and all that you promise is still to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, the Greeks say, Christos Anesti, and then reply, Alethos Anesti. That means Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen? Amen. This morning we're going to continue in the series called The Red Letters, Jesus Said. And today's title is Go Tell the Others. It was very early on that Sunday morning in Jerusalem. And it's hard to imagine what the people closest to Jesus were thinking about the horrible events from the previous two or three days. Those who had traveled with him closely from town to town around the region for three years had to be in shock, a daze of raw emotions, anger, anguish, incredible anxiety, their minds swirling. I thought he would live forever. Scripture said he came to rule the world. He promised us all seats at the kingdom table, We saw the miracles, the healings. We were there. He brought Lazarus back to life. How could this possibly happen? We believed him. But now, all of them were heartbroken, confused, disappointed. The men had understandably ran away in fear. What's going to become of us? We're probably next on the kill list, and our only chance is to hide away and deny we ever knew him. The women, typically, had bravely been there watching through the whole ordeal, and they were thinking about more practical things, like tending to the brutalized and bloody body that had been quickly but caringly wrapped up two days earlier on Friday, the first day, and then placed in a new tomb. A cave, really, that had been purchased by a good and righteous man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was wealthy, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council. But as a secret follower of Jesus, he had strongly disagreed with the actions of the other religious leaders. Out of love for the Lord, he took a big chance and went to Pilate, the ruler, asking for permission to take Jesus' body down from the cross so that it wouldn't be burned in the dump or or eaten by wild animals as many of the crucified were back in that day. Now Pilate was shocked to hear that Jesus was dead so soon and he asked the Roman soldiers to verify his death. They said, oh yes, definitely. 
So Pilate gave permission. Nicodemus, the Pharisee who'd come to see Jesus secretly at night, helped Joseph. And through moving the dead body, they each defiled themselves, according to Jewish law, so would not be allowed to partake in Passover, one of the most important religious celebrations of the year, as we talked about last week. They both risked their standing in the eyes of their contemporaries to perform this act of mercy and kindness, but they did it anyway. And it takes me back to the Beatitudes we've been studying in this series from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now, Scripture doesn't address what happened to Joseph and Nicodemus, but I have to believe they were greatly blessed for the mercy shown to the body of Jesus that day under what were extremely dangerous circumstances. In Matthew 27, 59, we read about it. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. And then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. Because if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at the first. Pilate replied, take the guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. There are several interesting points in that passage. The Pharisees, if you'll remember, had constantly harassed Jesus and his followers about not following the smallest laws like breaking off heads of grain to eat in the field on the Sabbath or not washing their hands properly. But now those same religious leaders had the blood of an innocent man on their hands from the murder of Jesus. Yet they felt no need to wash it off. They also had no problem breaking Sabbath, working to go make their request of Pilate to prevent the disciples from stealing the body and inventing stories about Jesus coming back to life. And it's ironic, they remembered Jesus promising to return from the grave, but Jesus' own followers didn't. When Pilate agreed to post Roman soldiers and seal the tomb up tight, without realizing it, he sealed the fate of the truth of the resurrection being told. No one in their right mind could possibly imagine a ragtag group of frightened fishermen and grieving women overpowering a platoon of military might, the Roman army, and then moving a huge stone and stealing hauling away a dead body in the middle of the night. And thanks to their misguided efforts to never allow this story to happen, the truth of Jesus rising from the grave is now the most important part of his story and of all of history. 
without realizing it, the Jewish leaders and the Roman government who hated each other conspired, they joined forces to help prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now before we go back to what happened that Sunday morning, I want to make an important point. Anyone who reads all four gospel accounts of the resurrection will notice quite a few small differences in each of the four testimonies. And those who are critics of the Bible and Christianity will try to tell you, ah, there are inconsistencies, there are contradictions. But that's not the case at all. Any experienced detective, and I spoke personally with two of them this week, will tell you that hearing exactly the same details from every single witness is always a sign that no one is telling the truth. That group has carefully practiced and rehearsed what they're going to say. Five witnesses may see the same car accident or fire or robbery, and each sees it from a different place from their personal perspective. Some will remember details, others don't, or, or don't think to mention. Some are more observant and won't let a single thing go unspoken, and others won't bring up items or recollections that don't seem important to the story at the time. It's just our human nature, our personal perspective. And the differences in some of the small details in the passages we read actually speak to the truth of what each witness remembered and shared with others. And the fact that each story is not precisely the same actually gives their stories more credence. Yet, I encourage you to listen or to read for the consistencies, the common threads that run through each account. And we're going to focus on one particular common thread as we go through the message this morning. In Matthew 28, 1, we read one of the accounts. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Then the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So basically, the angel said, go tell the others, and Jesus said, go tell my brothers. In Mark 16, 7, more consistency. The angel said, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. In Luke 24, 1, we read, 
Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. The spices helped with the aroma that came from a decomposing body. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the grave. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. In other words, they were compelled to go tell the others. In John 20, verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman... Why are you crying, the angel asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave but saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned and cried out. Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. She went to go tell the others. You know, we read these scriptures or parts of them every Easter, every year. And if you're a devoted follower of Jesus, you've probably spent at least some time this week reading the scriptures that led up to this day in history. The account of Jesus and all his trials, the whipping, the beating, the degrading treatment he was subject to on his way to being nailed to a cross and hung out to die. The disciples and these faithful women had been eyewitnesses to the blood, the inhumanity, the unimaginable sight of Jesus being so brutalized that Scripture tells us you couldn't tell he was actually a man. But none of that should have been a surprise. Not only had Jesus warned them of these exact things repeatedly in his final months, 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah wrote a description of the Messiah and what would happen to him. Listen carefully as we go through this and see if it sounds to you like anything that happened on the way to the cross. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance Nothing to attract us to him. I have to break in here and break the news to you. Those 
paintings all of you have with Jesus with the beautiful blue eyes and the feathered blonde hair, forget it. He did not look like that. He was dark-skinned. And, and this tells us there was nothing attractive about him. Back to Isaiah. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was his weakness, it, excuse me, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. We'll return to the rest of this passage before the end of the message. But right now, as we think about what we just read, I ask you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, please help us to recall all the agony you went through in order to give us direct access to God himself. Our greatest desire is to be in heaven with him and with you, yet it's only through your personal sacrifice that it's possible. Scripture teaches us that when you died, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that all of humanity had direct access to come directly to you. Jesus, set our minds on all you did and all you do. Help us to bring others into a close and personal relationship with you as our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, several places we read that Jesus said he would meet them in Galilee. And in Matthew 28, 16, we hear about what happened. The 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus told them to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them. And how do you do that? Well, you go tell the others the truth of the gospel. You go into all of the earth, and they did. In the face of great opposition and brutal persecution, those disciples who had been so frightened, so terrified when they saw what had happened to Jesus that they ran and hid themselves, were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
God gave them the courage and the strength to overcome their natural fear because they had seen the truth. They had witnessed Jesus risen from the grave. And as we read the final pages of each gospel, and you're going to have to do that on your own because we don't have time this morning. You're going, thank you. I've got a lunch planned and wonder how long this guy's going to go on here. But as you do that this week, and I encourage you to, you're going to learn more details. They had spoken with him. They ate with him. He suddenly appeared to them inside a room where they were hiding, even though the door was locked. They saw and physically touched the wounds in his hands and feet. Their newfound passion to share the truth of Jesus Christ, rising from the grave, defeating death, is the greatest evidence of the truth of the gospel story. And they carried that passion all over the earth to their graves. Boldness, perseverance, strength, and courage in the face of overwhelming fear and problems and troubles, beatings, torture, jail, threats of death. Nothing came close to stopping them. They were determined to go tell the others. Now, many of you this morning have come to know Jesus personally through their faithful teachings that have been carefully passed down over the last 2,000 years. You are an eyewitness to Jesus changing your life in amazing ways, changing the lives of those who you share his truth with and showing you the only pathway to eternity in heaven and I firmly believe God himself has called you right here on this very day at this very moment to give you a special message it is time to rise up and do what Jesus said Go tell the others, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. Anyone you meet should have the opportunity to become your Christian sisters and brothers. All we have to do is go tell the others. Learn to share the story of Jesus. Pray for the boldness to speak out in a kind and caring way about the differences he has made in you, about his promise that we can be like him, alive forever. You don't have to know all of the scriptures. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. All you have to do is be willing to share what you do know, what Christ has done for you, what he's promised, that after our death to this life, we will spend eternity in a new body, resurrected and perfected. And best of all, that forever will be spent in the presence of God the Father, God his Son and God the Holy Spirit, along with all those who have ever trusted in Him and left this earth. Eternal life in paradise with our Creator. Ask the Lord to make you much more aware of opportunities to invite others to come to church with you. That's all it takes so many times. Just go tell the others. And guess what? For all he's already done, our amazing Savior Jesus is not done yet. That scripture about the forgetful followers a few minutes back, and then they remembered? The Holy Spirit eventually helped them to recall all of those things. 
And let's just go over a few. And as we do, notice that even as he was telling them this in person, the disciples were often too busy with their own thing. They were too busy questioning his motive and his method to really listen to what he was saying. In John 13, 33, Jesus said, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In verse 36, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, You can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm, I'm ready to die for you. Jesus said, Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. In John 14, 1, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me also. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So yeah, it took a while, but his disciples and closest followers finally, eventually, remembered all of that and more that Jesus said. And that is how we have so many of our beautiful scriptures preserved for eternity today. And we have to constantly remind ourselves of those same things. Jesus is coming back again. And all the signs, many of the things happening in our world today indicate that it could be very soon. And over the next weeks, 
we'll review many of the other important things Jesus said about this life and the eternal life God promises to those who trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'd like to call our worship team back up, and as I do so, before we close, I want to read the rest of Isaiah 53 and verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. By the way, that 2,000 years later is you and me. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. 700 years before Christ, Isaiah told us Jesus would die for our sins so we can all be forgiven. Scripture calls these prophecies or predictions. They're actually promises from God that he knows our future, that this was all planned from before the beginning of time. And that's hard for us to understand. It's one of the beautiful mysteries of Scripture. But it all was planned from the start, from Jesus entering Jerusalem on the donkey on Palm Sunday to his death and resurrection during that one week over 30 different prophetic promises were kept and Jesus made many more that will come true very soon and we read just a few of them a few moments ago Jesus is coming back soon you guys can go ahead and start Jesus rarely asks us to do anything that's easy you know when he told his followers to meet him in Galilee sounds simple but I looked it up this morning. It's 126 kilometers, 78 miles away. It was probably at least a 30-hour walk. And after all they'd been through, they had to be thinking, really? But they all made the effort, and it was so worth it. This first step is easy. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, never truly accepted Him as Lord and Savior, or perhaps you tried before, but for whatever reasons drifted away, maybe today is the first time in a long time you've been to church. I promise Jesus doesn't take attendance, but He's glad you're here and so are we. Because today is the day you will remember for the rest of your life the day you ask Jesus to come into your heart, to guide and provide, to be the light in your darkness, to be your Lord and Savior. Please bow your heads and pray with me. And as I pray, I ask any of you who are feeling that tug in your heart, that call to the Lord, the things that have happened over the past months, the past days that have made you think that it's time to get right, that you're willing to take that first easy step, knowing the rest of the way may be difficult, but you're willing to ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Raise your hand and hold it up for just a few moments, please. Raise your hands. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. There's more. 
there's more. Don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed as I was 35 years ago. Pray with me. Those of you who've had your hands, you could put them down now. Father God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. My life has seemed so confusing, such a wreck. And I find it hard to believe that you would take me in. But the Bible says you will, that you'll forgive us, that you'll wash, wash us clean, that you will give us a fresh start with a clean and forgiven heart. And Lord, that is what I ask of you today. Please help me to know you, to love you, and to serve you, Lord. I look forward to all that is to come as I learn to become more like you, Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear it for those who are now followers of Jesus Christ for the first time today. Please stand up and join us in a moment of worship as we continue our service this morning. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.